0: Yeah, well let, let's dig in. Hello everybody. I'm David Cooks, and I tell you what. We, we know that paralysis can take on many forms. It can be physical like mine. You or can, can be do small. anything you put your mind to. And what we try to do is feature stories that go from difficult places to fulfilling purpose. What seems impossible? Coach Jim Johnson is a very successful basketball coach. He's an author of a wonderful book called A Coach and a Miracle. It may knock you down, but don't let it stop you. And he's been working in the area of autism and leadership and has become an expert on how to, how to teach organizations and people how to win in life and athletics and everything else.
1: My first 19 years as a head coach, we never made a pass to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. In my last 11 years, we made the finals eight times and won six. And, you know, they'd ask me, you, know, you know, how do you stay there? And I really think is it's growth. What what I see too often between teams, athletic teams or businesses, is they'll have a great year and then they'll say, you know what, we're good, we're just going to keep everything the same. I've got so much to give, a lot of life to live, you must
0: go paralysis to purpose get your pen and paper out yeah i'm taking notes paralysis to purpose hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of paralysis to purpose the podcast i'm david cooks your host and i tell you what i i consider myself to be one of the most fortunate people in the world i get to sit here and have conversations with some of the most intriguing people in the world and today Is no exception. Uh, This guy was one of the first people who reached out to me after I wrote my book and actually did a review for me and helped me, um, helped kind of get me out there in the speaking world and, and in the book world and, and uh, we've communicated here and there over, over the last couple of years and so and with me starting a podcast and I put something out there on social media about um, if you know anyone that would be a great guest, you know, send me a a DM and he sent me a DM and said, I'm a great guest. (laughs) You know what? That's the kind of guy I need to have on the show. Uh, Coach Jim Johnson is a very successful basketball coach in the Northeast. He's coached for over 30 years, Uh, He's known as the turnaround coach. He's taken losing varsity programs, three of them, I think, and turned them into winning programs. Uh, Over that time, he's got 428 wins and 221 losses. That's a lot of games. Over 600 game, 600 varsity games. I'm not even going to talk about how many other games you coach, whether it was grade school, summer, AU, whatever. But just to have that alone is is noteworthy. Uh, He's an author of a wonderful book called A Coach and a Miracle um and we're going to talk a little bit about that today it's life lessons from a man who believed in an autistic boy and of those 428 wins there is one that really stands out uh that has um i guess differentiated coach johnson um from many others and and he's been working in the area of autism and leadership and has become an expert in how to how to teach organizations and people how to win. So without further ado, I'd like to just welcome coach Jim Johnson to the podcast. Thank you, David. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to it. Let's go back and talk about that memorable night for you. Was it 2006? I believe is it, when was, it was 2006.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, well, I, uh, I'm gonna take give you a really brief history of you know, when I got into coaching, my dream was to come back and I live in a suburb of Rochester, New York, and I wanted to be a head coach in my hometown, which is a Greece. So I uh, I did I so I was an assistant in my hometown in a couple of the, we have four high schools in our town. And after only three years of assist, I became a head coach at a school about 20 minutes from where I grew up. And they were in our league. And although the program wasn't in very good shape, I I thought, you know, I was this Einstein of basketball. and I was going to leave this team. It wasn't very good from the outhouse to the penthouse. And uh, the great thing is that you're, uh, David, the reason I share this is because uh, it really humbled me. I uh, After splitting our first two games, we lost... 17 games in a row (laughs) and then i actually was let go from that position and that was a a really really humbling experience in my life because i uh but you know what after reflecting it certainly wasn't fun at the time i realized a couple things one that i was fairly uh overconfident some might call it arrogant at 25 that i was a head coach and I realized I had a lot to learn about coaching and leadership and that really helped us get me straightened out that it, and that's really when I started to do a lot more with personal growth and started to study coaching and leadership and that type of thing. And the other thing is, as I used that as a real motivator that I will say never went away that I had a burn in my belly that I was going to prove that I could be an effective coach. And so I reason I did that then. Uh, Actually, I got another job at a small school and actually we turned the program around in two years and then I got called back to my hometown and I became a head coach at one of my hometown schools and uh, their program was in dire straits. They had, had one winning season in the last 10 years. They had won two games in the previous two seasons. So we had a lot of work to do and uh there in our second year we actually had a winning season and i thought oh my gosh my magic touch i'm good again and then our third year we plummeted down to a 2 and 19 record mm. and i realized that i i still had some real work to do as i was developing these leader strategies we did end up where we our last three years we had uh three of the best years in the school And then I took another job at uh, our sister school because I always thought that was the best job for a lot of reasons. I won't delve into it. Mm -hmm. And uh, their program had had a losing season before we took over, but they had had some uh, real success. They had won a state championship. They had a, a professional player named John Wallace play for them okay. and, and actually i coached uh his younger brother so uh although john the uh the one that went the nba his younger brother i thought was going to be uh, a terrific like him and he was about five eight and sixth grade and he ended up being five ten instead of six nine like his mm. older brother. so that changed <laughs> things a little bit it changes uh, things a little bit so anyways well we we, we won right away at athena uh, the school that i finished at but I hit a kind of my four-minute mile obstacle is that we kept losing our postseason season tournament. Uh, the school before Greece Olympia, we had gotten to the semifinals three times. And in my first seven years, although we had winning records, we won uh, a couple division titles. We, again, didn't even get to the semis. So finally, my eighth year, we got to the semis. And then the next year, to lead you into uh, your question, a young man come into our program. His name was Jason McElwain. And, uh, I actually tagged him the nickname J Mac because he, I couldn't pronounce his last name. <laughs> so,
0: uh, <laughs> coaches, coaches do that stuff all the time. Yeah, I, yeah. I had, yes, I won't even go into the names that guys would be right. like, who are you talking to? I'm like you.
1: The, the, the only good news is I set it up uh, when I told him that I, I thought we should call you J-Mac. Um, at that point, Syracuse had a player named Jerry McNamara played on the national championship team. And I yes. said, well, Syracuse can have J-Mac. Athena can have J-Mac. And, and he liked it. And he bought into it. So, uh, so anyways, J-Mac was on the autism spectrum. And ba- this was back in 2003. So... I didn't really didn't know that much about autism. I mean, we had some students, but it wasn't, you know, the information was still a lot unknown. Yeah. And Jason was what they consider high functioning, but you know, he definitely had his challenges. He was learning disabled as well. And he tries out for a JV team and he doesn't make it a team. And I got to give a lot of credit to my JV coach. Cause he came to me and he said, coach, Jason's not a good player. And he was very small in stature. He was probably five, six, maybe 100 pounds soaking wet. He goes, but I really think we should keep him in the program because I think he just loves basketball. He loves the kids in the program. And so, you know, we decided he'd be the team manager for the JV team. And I will admit there were some trials and tribulations as kids got used to him. But we had had built a pretty good culture. So the kids started to really embrace the fact. A little story is that, Jason would sit on the bench for the JV games, and he'd ca- he ca- always come in a white shirt and black tie and uh, you're going to be a little shocked at this but he would get a little emotional during the game in fact he was quite disheveled at the end of the game and he used to always warm my heart because he wanted to sit on the bench for the varsity game and I'd see one of my varsity players before we warmed up go over and straighten his shirt and his tie out to get him ready to be (laughs) presentable Uh, so he uh, you know he sat on the bench and uh, that year we actually got to the semifinals now for a second time in a row at Athene five times in my career and we lost again and so then Jason, is junior, he comes out. Now, what really was different about Jason, not just, you know, his autism, mm-hmm. but the, the fact that he was so committed. Because in my career, I was a head coach for 30 years. I can probably tell you maybe three or four student athletes, if they didn't make the team, would try out again. Most mm-hmm. of them would would not try out. And if they did try out, it was like they just showed up for tryouts. They didn't come to any of our off-season. Exactly.
0: Been, okay. there, been Yes, I understand. And so,
1: so you know, it was kind of a hopeless thing. Jason was totally different. He came to all our off-season workouts, and I was, you know, I was picking him up at his house, and he was really start, I was starting to be very attached to him because he was just so passionate like I was about basketball. So he's junior. He tries out for the team, and – uh, you know, we had a good program, so I knew he, he, you know, he was going to have trouble making it. But it, So I offered him the team manager's job, and he quickly embraced it. In fact, it was funny. In our first team meeting, he raises his head. He says, Coach, can I say something to the team? I said, Sure. He says, We're going to adopt this slogan, Stay Focused. And we're going to help you win your first sexual championship this year. <laughs> so I started laughing and I said, oh, great, Jason. I appreciate that. So we, again, we have another good season as junior year. We get to the semifinal now for the sixth time and we lose at the buzzer to our crosstown rival. And we're just devastated. But Jason, I mean, his, his resilience was just amazing. Cause he, like the next day he's in my office, coach, when we start open gym again, (laughs) I'm like, Jason, we just finished the season. It's down there. (laughs) uh, But again, he came to all our, our off season work and, So a senior, he comes out for the team. And again, we almost, we had a lot coming back. So I knew his chances were very slim, but I brought him in and I said, Jason, I got some good news and some bad news. And and he says, coach, tell me the bad news first. And I said, well, unfortunately, you're not quite good enough to make the team. Mm -hmm. And this time he's visibly disappointed. His head kind of dropped down. You can see he was upset. And I said, but I do have some good news. And his head paused back up and he says, what do you got in mind coach? And I says, well, for senior night. And he goes, well, I'm a senior. I said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, for senior night, I would like to give you a uniform and hopefully get you in the game. And I, I kid my presentations that periodically he would ask me about that uniform. And of course, I define periodically as about every other day.
0: Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He, really, he, didn't uh, want you, he didn't want you to forget that that no, I was so, senior and you said so, it, right? Right.
1: So, uh, well, Jason Sr., I I really thought we had a chance to break you know my barrier uh, in winning a championship. We had a really good team and we won our first two games and then I talk about it in my book and it's kind of a long story so I'll kind of just say that we had some real issues it was a lot with parents but it, it affected the players and it really divided the team and uh, you know it, and it was interesting because That year ended up being the highlight of my life in coaching, Mm. and was also the first half of the season was the most difficult. In fact, I almost resigned. Uh, Wow! And I, uh, my, if I hadn't been my wife and staff, in fact, my a couple of my assistants came and said, "Coach, you always talk about when the going gets tough, the tough get going. You need to step up." And and uh, they woke me up, and I said, "Well, I got to do this. I got to take care of this." But because we were so divided, uh, in our next five games we lost three and we shouldn't have lost any of them we just were not you know we uh we weren't in sync and if anybody's ever been on a divided team i don't care how mm. talented you are it 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 goes it goes south in a hurry in a
0: hurry right oh. yeah
1: that's so awesome. uh, we go to this, after those five games, we go to a Christmas tournament at the largest school in Rochester. And the, and the, the whole school was really good that year. And the reason that I got in is because I thought we were going to be really good and it would be a great challenge because they played in a different level sectional class than we did. Right. So I wanted a challenge. Well, In the opening round, we barely win. And in the second round, or the second game, Fairport, the host school, beats this team by like 40 points that we had played two weeks earlier and beaten in overtime. Mm. So the next day, it's during Christmas break, so we bring them in for a a shoot-around, you know, a short practice. And this is probably the best thing I did the whole season. Normally, you know, we get some balls out, we'll do some shooting drills, go through, you know, some plays, cover some of their stuff. But I I shocked them. I didn't bring any balls out. I sanded them in the bleachers, and, and I looked them right in the eye and I said, guys, I don't want to go to the game tonight. And they were like in disbelief. What do you mean you don't want to go to the game tonight? I said, unless we decide that, you know, we're going to work together as a team. Fairport will beat us by 50 points tonight. But the best thing I did, you know, something I talk a lot about leadership, you know, and effective communication was I gave them a little, you know, talk, and it might have helped a little bit, but the best thing I did is I said, guys, you got to open up and tell us how we can unite this team because if we don't do that, um, you know, this season is going to go down the drain. And finally, they really started to open up. And we never brought a basketball out. We just talked for over an hour. And, you know, I can't say it solved all our woes, but you could tell there's a different bounce in our step. And it reflected that night. We, we actually played a great game against Fairport. We lost them in overtime, but, you know, it showed what we could do. And then we got momentum I mean, we won eight out of our next nine games. We, you know, it wasn't perfect. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, you could tell that we were starting to, you know, work for each other. And, and uh, you know, in, in our ta- talent was now starting to manifest in a positive way. We hope you're enjoying Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Paralysis to Purpose for more updates. Also, check out David's website at davidcookspeaks.com to learn more about his mission and purchase his book, Getting Undressed, from Paralysis to Purpose. Well, it goes into senior night. Senior night's February 15th. I'm the 13th. I give j-mac his first jersey and there was a rumor going around school they slept in it for two straight two straight nights <laughs> uh, yeah and so anyway so senior night uh for your listeners that don't you know follow basketball too closely for us it, it, it's where we honor our seniors before mm-hmm. the final home game we bring their parents or guardians out and this night really profoundly touched me, David, because instead of Jason walking out and, and you know, embracing his parents and his white shirt and black tie, he's now dining number 52. It was way too big. He didn't care. Right, right. Yes. And, uh, and just to see him in uniform was just so special to me. Well, the game begins and... Uh, you know, we're we're playing it, and and we we get ahead, and I'm getting everybody in, but I know I can't put every put Jason until I get everybody in, uh, and so with just over four minutes ago, because my whole thought process was, I want to get him in with enough time so he could score a basket. I thought if he could score a basket, that's a memory he'll have the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. So with just over four minutes, I pointed to him. He nearly ran on the court. He was so excited. And then what happened next profoundly touched my heart and soul. You know, I'm usually a pretty macho guy. You know, I, I although I do cry at good sports movies, but usually I don't cry at my home, own basketball games I coach. But this was different. When I, when Jason walked on the floor, our student body found, they call themselves a the six men. They, uh, they gave him a standing ovation but what was so touching was I didn't know this one of our parents behind Jason and I's back we didn't know this made these pictures of Jason and put them on paint sticks like placards and they all their students show all these pictures and I had no idea this was going to happen. So I sat down in tears literally start flowing down my face. I'm just so touch deeply and like wow this is amazing. Well Jason is now in his first varsity basketball game with just over four minutes. So the first time he touches the ball, he gets in the right corner. He lets a three go. And the crowd kind of stands in anticipation. It misses by like six feet. <laughs> <laughs> and as I kid people, I know you're not supposed to pray in the public schools, but I was praying dear God, please help me get one basket. That's right. Next, next possession, um He gets about a 10 foot shot. And this time it hits the backboard and hits the rim and it falls out. The crowd groans, but I'm thinking, all right, God's starting to listen. We're getting a little closer. And then the third possession, he gets the ball at the right wing behind the arc. This time he lets a three go and it goes in, and the place just exploded. And and, uh, you know, I kid people that we have about ninety thousand people in our town. There's probably a thousand in our gym, but it sounded like ninety thousand. It was just pure bedlam. You know, they scored a basket, and I'm thinking. God must be a basketball fan. Not only is Jason score, he's got a three-pointer. And can't get better than this. Then as a kid, people, unfortunately, it's now the late great Kobe Bryant. But Jason's idol was Kobe Bryant. Mm. And uh, so and I, I say this because in the next three minutes, Jason turns into Kobe. Uh, he Definitely just did. starts making shot after shot. And the place is going crazier and crazier. And so the two things I'll never forget with a minute to go at this point he's got four or five baskets and the place is just banana beyond being bananas it's just crazy and i'm sitting there tears still rolling down my face i get a tap on my shoulder i look behind me it's jason's mother and she is just bawling her eyes out and she gives me a big hug and she whispers in my ear coach this is the best gift you could have ever give him my son what would you have done of course i cried harder and then yeah. And then how the game ends is like a Hollywood. Other than the fact that you know it wasn't a game-winning shot, but Spencer Port, our opponent that night, and I want to give kudos to their coach and their players. Mm-hmm. They were great sports. They score about ten seconds to go, and our player takes it out. Normally, he throws it right to our point guard, but for some unknown reason, he throws it right to J-Mac. So J-Mac's dribbling down the court, and I'm really kind of thinking, you know, the crowd's going crazy. He they'll just let him walk in. He'll you know make a layup in the, in the game, whatever. Oh, no, he just kind of takes his time. I look up, now the clock's ticking is down like three, two, one. And all of a sudden, Jason pulls up like a foot or two beyond the arc. And I'm like, oh, my God, Jason, don't shoot for that. It's way too far. He launches this rainbow and swish i look over our student body runs on the floor our players run on the floor i'm thinking oh my gosh i'm living the movie rudy this is unbelievable <laughs> and then the interesting dynamic jason's parents are his dad is six foot six mm. his mom is five foot two and i see this little lady bobbing through the entire mass of people and she gets to Jason, she gives him a big hug and then our players put him up on their shoulder. He's got the game ball over his head. And I'm thinking at this point, I have no idea how many points he has. I know he has a lot. And our public address announcer comes on and says, the leading scorer for the Trojans tonight, J-Mac, with 20 points. That's crazy. Oh, my gosh. If he have played the whole game, he would have scored 160, 20 points every four minutes. (laughs) uh, It was truly. And, you know, there were so many life lessons, but I want to share – two that really came out that, you know, uh, and one was that, uh, was so neat, you know, cause I call it the essence of teamwork is that, you know, because we had had so much uh, difficulty during the season, I knew the players like Jason, but I mm-hmm. wasn't sure how they were going to respond. Plus people who got to remember, and you, you understand this better than a lot. Cause you know, you're a coach is that there were four guys out there that normally don't play much. Right. Yes. But out of their, out of their only hearts they decide that they're just going to keep passing Jason the ball. So Jason's the only one shot. In fact, I still kid him to this day. Jason, I'm still looking for your first assist. You never passed the ball once. (laughs) Uh, But to me, that was just unbelievable. And then the other thing that uh, I wanted to share is that, you know, I, I think there's been a ripple effect. I've seen some really neat stories and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we were the first one, but it seemed like we were the first one that really got a lot of publicity. Mm-hmm. And, um, but, you know, I really felt they did it for the right reasons. We had no media there. Uh, you know, there was no plan. The only thing I had to do back then now they've even changed this, but back then I had to call it into our local newspaper and they used to put box scores. Right.
0: In. Yeah, we used so to have I them.
1: call and a sports writer answers and, uh, and it's a, a female sports writer, she says, uh, uh, so tell me about the game. I said, Well, you're not gonna believe this. My team manager that's on the autism spectrum got in the game and he scored 20 points in the last four minutes. So I'm you know, I'm asing this all up. I barely tell her, you know, anything else. And I'm thinking, you know, I get home and my wife and son were at the game, they were shocked too. And uh I barely sleep. I'm thinking he's going to get a headline in our local paper. So I open up the sports page the next day, and it says Trojans tie for league title our our nickname and it barely says anything about jason so i'm like oh i guess wasn't that big a deal all it was to me in fact that kid people that i went to school that day and i was a phys ed teacher and i didn't teach the whole day all they did was get out the video (laughs) and we watched watched the game (laughs) over and over again and i remember students come up and said coach this is going to get at espn i said espn and it would get a headline in our local newspaper well, actually, that's where I thought it would end because I would not have, um, you know, as much as it, it touched my heart deeper than any other experience I've ever had in coaching, it, you know, that wasn't my intent. I wasn't trying to get any publicity. What I didn't know was Jason's speech pathologist had worked with Jason for four years, he had never come to a game. I barely knew him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he never came down to the gym or anything. He came to the game because Jason told him he might, you know, get in. And he was so touched that he actually called one of our local TV stations the next day and said, coach, or uh, to them, and he said, you've got to come and borrow the video from the coach. This is the best thing I've ever seen in sports. Wow. And they did. And I lent it and they showed it that night. And it got such a nice uh, local following that we had three local TV stations come in. And then one of our uh, sports directors called me that night and he says, Coach, this is amazing. Can you do you mind if I send it out in I said, No, it'd be fine. Well, we're going into our February break. Uh, our season had ended, but we're now we're going in a postseason. And it's a quiet weekend. So I thought, you know, maybe send it out, maybe didn't, I have no idea. I thought that was a good end. So Monday morning, cause we didn't have school I'm up, I get up and I'm, we're having a morning practice and just, I'm just about to leave the house and the phone rings and it's CBS evening news. And they normally don't call the house.
0: <laughs> they don't. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I said, uh, they said, coach, we heard about the game. We want to come in and do a story about it. Well, they did. And by the end of that week, Mm-hmm. As we're preparing for the second tour, Thursday night we were on, you know, national news, CBS Evening News. The next day on Friday morning before practice, we were interviewed by CNN, Good Morning America, and ESPN. And uh, it was just from there. And of course now we're trying to prepare for this title and in the media attention is just out of control i we were just i mean i would come home you know because that week we weren't in school so you know the school might have been getting calls but they you know no one was there right so uh my wife is going crazy and, and uh she told me she wouldn't pick up the phone again <laughs> But then she uh she saw oprah's show call and she did pick it up for that <laughs> so, so tuesday night when we we come back is our semifinal game. And that's my big stumbling block, my four-minute mile. I You know, we've never won it. And the the crazy part is one of the things that I did, you know, I guess we'll talk a little bit about leadership, but is I was always big on leading by example, but I was doing a lot of reflecting, you know, losing all these times in the postseason tournament. What I realized through all this, is that during the postseason I was a different coach and unfortunately a different coach in a negative way. I was putting so much pressure on myself but of course, who else was I putting a lot of pressure on? My team. And as much as they badly wanted to win, they just, you know, they were playing tight and, you know, and we were losing this close games. So I really decided, you know, that I had to change because I was, you know, not to say I didn't ever get emotional in the game, but, you know, I was always more of a positive guy. You know, we can stay strong together, but not during the postseason. I was like, this is Mr. Negative. Uh-huh. So I decided I got to be positive. So I, uh, uh, in the semifinals, we're up by 10 at halftime. I'm thinking, oh, my God, we're going to break the barrier. We blow the entire league. We're actually losing in the fourth quarter. And, uh, you know, but this time I was different. I really, I held my composure. I encouraged them. I said, we can do this. And they, and they responded. And we actually came back and won the game. So we're going to the finals. And that was on Saturday night. And Saturday night, now, we play usually at a downtown arena. It's, it, you know, it's a decent size. It's it about 10,000. Mm-hmm. But basketball in area, I mean, people like it, don't get me wrong, but it's not like, you know, over the top in some other, like a state. So, you know, for a championship game, you, usually we'll get three, four, sometimes 5,000. It would be like half full. We walk in the arena on Saturday night, and, of course, we were getting so much of this following, it's sold out. We, there's over 10. It's just packed to the gills, you know. And so uh, and I'll, I'll never forget this, because I walk in and with the team and Channel Eight's there. And they said, Coach, can we uh, interview? And so they asked me a few questions. Then they said, can we interview J-Mac? And I said, sure. So he's sitting in the first row. I was down on the floor. And I turned. I said, J-Mac, Channel 8 wants to interview you. He stands up. He says, Coach, it's time to get focused. No immediate interviews. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so I think we're ready, right? first championship game I ever coached, we're down like 14 to three after four minutes. And I'm like, oh boy, that pregame speech didn't work. But again, David, I just did a much better job. I kept my cool, we kept, and so uh, to close the story, we ended up, tying the game with under two minutes to go. And then, you know, we we, we had a shot clock back then, I think it was yeah. 35 seconds, maybe 45. I can't recall now, time's going by me now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we got the ball late in the game, but we we couldn't hold it for the last shot because of the shot clock. So we got ran it down to about 15 seconds and my point guard penetrated in a tie game. He th- throws it out. Now here's the irony throws out to one of our guards his, his name was Steve Kerr not the guy that's the Golden State coach but uh, another Steve Kerr and Steve makes a uh, three-pointer and uh, uh, so we're up three our players are they come down flying down they fog up a three doesn't go in I'm kind of standing all of a sudden I get tackled by my JV coach we we have won the championship um you know because we're still getting a lot of publicity we, we lost in the state tournament so that ended the season in the next game but uh was one was four months later j mac is now at the espies he's up for the greatest sports moment of the year mm-hmm. and one of the four finalists with him is his idol kobe bryant kobe had scored 81 points in an nba game that year and j mac beat him out for the espy We'll get back to David's conversation with Coach Jim Johnson on Paralysis to Purpose, the podcast, in just a minute. But first, here's a sample from David's audiobook, Getting Undressed from Paralysis to Purpose. In Chapter 12, David recalls how the thrill of coaching varsity and AAU basketball made him realize he couldn't remain in corporate America. He needed to make a career
0: change. He needed to pursue his passion, despite the sacrifices that might be required. I left GE Capital in May of 1995 and received a generous severance package that included access to an office and phone to assist in my job search. After a rocky last chapter, this was an amicable ending. Later that month, I had my first job interview for a job I never applied for. The University of the Pacific in Stockton, California invited me out west to interview for a vacant assistant coaching position. How they knew of me remains a mystery. Their head coach, Bob Thomason, the coaching staff, the players, and the university officials made me feel right at home. They were comfortable with me as a person, and a coach, wheelchair, and all. When they offered me the job, I did cartwheels on the inside, unable to believe my fortune once again. I couldn't believe a Division I basketball program was interested in me. I understood how difficult it was to get into college coaching, and never thought I'd ever get that opportunity. All the same, I really wasn't looking to take that route. I had just started a rebuild at Darien, and the Stanford Express was full steam ahead. I'd have to say bye to both of them. And then there was another caveat. The NCAA had placed a cap of a $10,000 salary for the position I was offered. When I left corporate America, I assumed I'd be taking a pay cut, but all the way down to $10,000? $10,000? In Stockton, California, which had a higher cost of living, would I be able to support myself? It couldn't be about the money. This was yet another crossroads, another question about how much I'd be willing to sacrifice to pursue my passion. That's David Cooks narrating his book, Getting Undressed, From Paralysis to Purpose. It's now available to purchase
1: from Audible and Apple's Audiobook Store. Now, let's return for Part 2 of David's conversation with Coach Jim Johnson.
0: Well, welcome back, and um, we're going to pick up a little. There's a couple of things you talked about that I want you to share a little bit about. I, I can relate as a coach. Uh, for those listeners, some of you don't know, I, I've spent uh, almost 30 years coaching, not all of it as a head coach, and some of the experiences that you were talking about, Jim, um, I understand. And I want to talk about losing 17 in a row. I, I had I had a winless season where we went 0-20. And for mm-hmm. me, it was probably one of the most rewarding from a professional development standpoint um, out of all the years that I coached because I learned a lot of things about how to keep things afloat and how to, you know, keep guys motivated and stuff like that. Can you talk a little bit about how, what you learned um, during, the, during those losses? Because I, I think that we don't, um, in general, embrace the process. Mm-hmm. This was part of your process to getting to finally, you know, starting to win these things. So could you share right. a little bit about that? Yeah. So it, you know,
1: that's a great question because uh, certainly when I was going through it, <laughs> I wasn't looking for life lessons. <laughs> and uh, what really helped me immensely, I remember a... Uh, A wrestling coach the head wrestling coach come in and watch a few minutes of one of my practices Mm -hmm. and uh, he said something that at the time i didn't agree but he was so right Mm. he told me he said coach your players aren't very good which i knew (laughs) (laughs) he said but you know what you're spending too much time trying to come up with magical plays you got to spend more time on fundamentals and I it was great because here's the wrestling coach I'm thinking what the heck does he know but you know the thing is he had been a pretty successful wrestling coach so he knew you know that foundation that you got to have the fundamentals and he was so right and of course I didn't embrace that until I you know really got another opportunity to be a head coach and realized that you know that foundation um and then the The other thing, it really launched me into my own personal growth, where I really became avid. That's where I really became passionate about leadership because I was like, you know what, I failed. And when I started to really understand that, you know what, I, I got to learn how to be a leader, how to run a team. In fact, I, I, I said this uh, to somebody the other day, you know, because often I'll, you know, the young coaches I'll talk to and they're so into like I was, you know, like, hey, do you got a great player or, or a great drill for yeah, this? Yeah. And I said, you know what? Yeah, I do. I could give you a good play or I could give you a good drill. But you know what, I'm gonna tell you right now, if you wanna be a successful coach, you gotta learn how to be a leader and you gotta learn how to unite a team for a common goal. Mm -hmm. And if you can't do those two things, um, you you know, you're gonna struggle. I think it was something like my, after my first six or seven years in coaching, I was something like um, 40 games under 500. The more that I started to study leadership, with the idea that I always wanted to get better in understanding the game of basketball, mm-hmm. uh, by the end of, the end of my career, I gained a lot of confidence that I was good at both. Mm-hmm. And, okay. and and I think that's you know you know the people that I think are successful long you know for long periods of time um, develop some leadership keys and some core values that they stick to. I, I often ask business coaches, you know, coach, how do you stay at the top? Because in my last 11 years, after ne- my first 19 years as a head coach, we never made a pass to the semifinals. Mm-hmm. In my last 11 years, we made the finals eight times and won six. And in my last 14 years, we made the semifinals or better every single year, you know, which, which I'm proud of. You know, that, that's, a, that's some consistency. And you know they'd ask me, you, know, you know, how do you stay there? And I really think is it's growth. What what I see too often between teams, athletic teams or businesses, is they'll have a great year, and then they'll say, you know what, we're good, we're just going to keep everything the same, and that's a
0: that's to me that's a recipe for disaster. Could you just talk a little bit about talent? Um, because I think sometimes, and you 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 referred to it earlier that you know, co- coaches are essential and important for leading and things. But if you don't have talent, you know, you, you, and and you stuck with it those first seven years, being forty games under under uh, five hundred, you didn't become a good coach. You are all you already have begun to put the things in place to be a good coach. What happens when you step up the players, when you step up your team? Because in the in the business world, I think that becomes a very important component as you put your team together in corp- in, in your business. You know, you've got to have some talent. What role does talent play in making great coaches? I'm gonna answer that with a couple of ideas. So first of all,
1: uh I think Anyone that tells you that talent's not important is what I call a liar. <laughs> so uh, you, you definitely need talent. But here's, I think this is a separator, again, from good to greatness, is the leaders, the coaches, the business leaders, whatever it is, understand that they're looking to attract people that have talent in their particular thing, in my case, obviously, basketball. Mm-hmm. but also they had some keys of the type of person they wanted on their team i'll give you what we were looking at we wanted people that were growers we wanted people that had enthusiasm and loved the game of basketball okay so that was one of the things i was really looking for cuz i spent a lot of time spent a lot of time with my assistants talking about younger kids in our program did mm-hmm. they love the game you know, the passion for the game. Because if they love the game, there's a very good chance they're going to get better. Right. Number two is, are they we guys or are they me guys? Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, we were looking at the we guys is, is something that we're going to do it. And the third thing is a combination of humility and the ability – to care about others and so those are the things that really helped me as a coach because uh, as I said you know I was always looking to get talented players we need talented players but we also wanted
0: to embrace are they going to keep getting better you you told the story about your your team that was divided and it reminded me of uh, the best year that I had at market high school was a year where we were three and five and we couldn't figure out what was going on and we went into a room and closed the door, and no basketballs. and And I began to ask questions, like, "What can we do? What's wrong?" And the same kind of thing occurred where all of a sudden, uh, there were things I needed to do that I didn't that I thought I was doing. There were things that they needed to do. When you talk about bringing a team together that's been divided, um can you can you just touch a little bit on the significance of um communication and having an environment, where you welcome is is open enough where people can actually speak and not feel as though they're going to get in trouble, and how important that is. Sure, uh, you know one of the keys I talk
1: about is that you know you have to develop building trust, mm-hmm. and the the biggest thing that uh, you know like I talk you know to all kinds of you know coaches and leaders of business and stuff. And no one disagrees, you know, like to say, oh, you don't need to build trust. Of course you do, okay? I mean, trust trust is essential, right? But what I challenge them with is, and I didn't have this early in my career, but I really developed it, was that you have to have a plan of how you're going to build trust. And I I Mm -hmm. talk about three keys. And and you brought up a couple of little things, so I'll, I'll share with you. So the three keys we talked about is that we had to align our actions and words we had to be consistent so mm. that, that was number one mm. number two is that we had to be willing to tell the truth and be willing to be vulnerable and one of the things that i got much better on is the fact that i was going to uh, admit when i made a mistake yeah. and i would do it publicly if i screwed up i would tell them you know what guys my mistake i apologize or you know if i did something that I really shouldn't have done to a player you know, I'd be with them one-on-one and, and and tell them because, you know, obviously in building a successful team with trust, you got to build relationships. And if, wow. if you don't do that, then you're going to struggle.
0: So so, so, remember, so I, I want to say, so sure. coaches, coaches actually make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 when, it, when did that start? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, uh, because that gets- you, you know what? Because I think sometimes people don't understand that, we're growing and learning at the same time yes. and then coaches sometimes don't think that it's their place to not up uh, it, it it doesn't it it's a it's a sign of weakness to yes. show that you 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 messed something up right. and i i couldn't right. and, and I, sorry to interrupt you but it was such yes, a great point good. it was one of those things i used to tell the guys the same thing you know what i messed that up i called yeah. the wrong play or i put i put the wrong Maybe. person in the wrong spot. And that was my fault. And I will tell you that that built built such a different kind of rapport and relationship with the players. They knew I was in control. They right. knew I was the coach, yeah. but something happened when they saw my humanity. And yeah. and and I think that that's really huge. Go go. you were about to make a third point. You're that's,
1: about that's a really powerful thing. I'll I'll, I'll just say that, that you, what you said was right on because what I found is when I was willing to be vulnerable and admit a mistake, then then our players were as well. You yeah. so know, it's like yeah, that that's my fault, coach. And when you start to build that where they can take responsibility for their actions, mm-hmm. just like I do for my actions, then you got something. And then the third thing is, see, I I you know I took over three programs after my initial um, struggle in my first year that had all been losing. Okay. And so the mindset is right, right away, you know, there's a negative vibe to it. Yeah. So one of the things I believe you got to bring in as a coach, you know, one of my favorite, you know, I used to give a co- our kids a quote every day. And, and uh, it's actually in my tagline. Now I say it in a lot of my speeches, attitudes are contagious Is yours worth catching.
0: Is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with before we sign off? I mean, you we've unpacked a lot of things and yeah. and um, you know, what would be something you would like to leave with the audience?
1: yeah, i I think the uh, two things I'd like to reemphasize is that uh, i I just think it's really important that you have clarity of you know what why why were you put on this earth. So I think you know, really, I, I would encourage everybody to really understand and start to really think about, you know, what are your most in core values and are you living them consistently? And then the last thing that I'll say is twofold, and it has two parts to it. And the one is that uh I just think the world is a better place when people respect each other. So, you know, you, you're not gonna necessarily like everybody the same. I understand that. But the ability that you're going to treat every human being with respect, and then the last thing I'll say along those lines is that uh, I just think you know it, it's the law of the universe, but we forget it too often, and that is that you know be a giver before you think about being a taker, you know, and and the more that you can serve others and help others. You know, they. I mean, you know, that's that's what greatness is for me. You know, is is the, the ability to just find and seek ways that you can help and serve others is is really a powerful thing.
0: If people want to get a hold of you, and you guys need to get a hold of this guy, have him come and speak and do different things. I need to partner with him myself. How do we get? How do we get a hold of you? So it's uh, Johnson dot com.
1: That way, I wouldn't forget it. And I uh, on them on my website, I've got. Uh, Uh, I do have a a free monthly newsletter that's a Life Lessons. I do a weekly blog that you can sign up for. Uh, I also have a YouTube channel, and you can follow me. I'm on uh, YouTube. or uh, Yeah, I have a YouTube channel, but LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook, and also um, I've just started Instagram. That one I haven't quite figured out yet, but I'm working (laughs) at it a little bit. Uh, so You follow me, and if I could ever help you, I uh, you know I was doing live events until COVID hit, but I have pivoted. I'm actually have a home studio, and I, I'm proud to say I'm doing virtual. I, I'm hoping to the point where I I think virtual is going to stay to some degree for the rest right. of our lives. But Thanks. I think on the other side, you know, people are really looking forward to getting back to some live events. And as I am, I, there's nothing like getting in front of an audience and try to make an impact with them live. But uh, but if I can help people. And I actually, uh, I didn't tell you this, David, but I, I did partner with a uh, local college professor and we're actually, I'm writing a second book. Oh. And it's, uh, our focus is going to be on uh, lo- working on helping young and emerging leaders. So we're my oh, pleasure. Good. I want to keep, keep growing our relationship, David. Uh, you're a good man.
0: And uh, it was a pleasure to be with you today. Great. Well, until next time, this is David Cooks reminding you that your ability to endure is always greater than your willingness to endure. You can do anything you put your mind to. Thanks for tuning in to
1: Paralysis to Purpose. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Paralysis to Purpose on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. To purchase his book, visit DavidCookSpeaks.com. Be sure to tune in next time for more inspiring conversations with David Cooks. One of my biggest fallbacks from
0: back in the day was letting someone else's opinion of me be what I thought I was or could be. You know what I mean? And I had to realize they don't define who I am. And I also had to realize I can't try to keep up with the Joneses, you know? You have your own path of what you're
1: supposed to do. And there's room for everybody. Next time on Paralysis to Purpose.
0: She goes as Butter B. Rock.
1: You have to find your own path. And you can't be afraid to walk alone. Because, you know, trying to get to where you want to get to, everybody's not going to have your vision or your dream because it's your dream.
0: Paralysis to Purpose.